Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Voki, and you are listening to Anchored. My chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Berta Fortas started tying flies as a kid. Born and raised in Washington State, she grew up fishing for trout, salmon, and steelhead. Britta is an accomplished angler and guide in Puget Sound, where her custom patterns are well known for their appeal to salmon and cutthroat trout. In this episode of Anchored, we geek out on fly tying and dive into the nitty-gritty of material modifications, hook strength, fly tying thread, dyeing feathers, tips and tricks, and more. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by Olakai. Aloha was born in Hawaii, but the Aloha spirit holds no geographic boundaries. With Aloha as their foundation, Olakai takes a different approach to footwear. Olakai crafts only the highest quality shoes and sandals with premium materials and artistic story detail with the style, durability, and versatility for today's watermen and waterwomen who lead an active ocean-bound lifestyle. Whether you're loading up the boat with supplies at the dock, fishing off the rocks, or scoping out the best place to cast from the beach, Olakai's water-ready footwear is designed to keep you sure-footed with comfortable island style through every step of your journey. Shop or find your local retailer at olukai.com forward slash anchored. That's O-L-U-K-A-I dot com forward slash anchored. I was born in Shoreline, Washington and raised in the same area. My parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, and then we had a place on the Still Guamish. Cool. South Fork, back when there was actually Steelhead in the South Fork, the Still Guamish. And um, we used to go up there every weekend and, and play and cast and fish. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was still fun. My sister would sit there and read books, and I'd go out there and fish. I taught myself to tie off of the one, God, it was, the, I forgot what book it was. It was the um, the old steelhead fly tying book, the only one we had. So, like, by the time I was, like, 15, all I could do was, like, a gray ghost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you couldn't even find materials for anymore, really. Um, Wait, how old were you when you started tying flies? Oh, God. It was, uh, would have been 1990. Whoa. So I was, like, 10. Did you start tying flies before you started fly fishing? No, I started fly fishing a couple years before that, but, God, I was not well. So was your, it, was your it. dad a fly fisher? Yes. Oh, cool. So you had gear available to you. Some. It was old. I mean, I would say that the rods were the size of my forearm at the time, like good old Fenwick fiberglass. So, yeah, I, and I wasn't good at it. Like, I, I dappled in it, and I tried. I was much more into tying. And then um, when I worked at the Seattle Aquarium when I was older, there was this boy that I was like, oh, yeah, game on. And he was a big into fly fishing. 
And so that got me back into it because I was like, dad, dad, I got to I got to do something. My dad's like, what's with this excitement over? I'm like, nothing, nothing at all. (laughs) I'm just getting back to my roots, dad. Yep. Yep. That's all it is. So, well, geez, I didn't realize. I mean, yeah, you grew up doing it. I did. Okay. So did you kind of lose it in high school for a bit? Oh yeah. Cause it's not, it's not as cool, but no, it's not cool. I used to hide yeah. it. What's funny is, is I did in high school. Um, there was a guy that I dated that both of us ditched each other constantly to go fishing. This is how well, you know, people you date in high school, by the way, right. um, come to find out he actually works at one of the fly shops that was within 20 miles of the one I worked at for years. Wait, so you guys were dating and both- We had no idea that both of us fly fished and he would ditch me to fly fish and I would ditch him to fly fish. That is hilarious. It was pretty funny, yeah. In hindsight now, yeah. Small world. It is a small world. Yes. What did you take in college? Biology and then chemistry obviously came along with it, even though I, I'm not good at it. Biology was just because it was the only thing that I could think of that was easy enough to me. What really? was the end goal? What did you want to do? Um, not so sure. I ended up doing the veterinary technician situation. Um, eventually. I mean, that's, um, that's like, that's great. Cr- on a, cr- on a path of a proper career. Yeah. It's, it helped me keep my animals alive for a little while at least. I mean, that's helped too. How'd it's you an extra up- bonus. Well, how did you get in the, I mean, you could have done anything. Why did you end up at the fly shop? Um, and that's not meant to sound demeaning. No, no, I and, totally and, I, and I could be, I mean, I, I met you at the fly shop. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, no, you had a life I, before I met you. Did, just tell me a little bit about that totally. life before I met you. So I, um, ADD pretty much drove me to many states with little to no like advanced notice. And so I went to Idaho, lived in Ketchum for a while. Yeah. And fished, but actually worked at a vet clinic there, okay. which is where I started doing that. And then I moved up, decided in a day and a half I would move to Anchorage again to go back to the guy that I was, I dated in high school or from the, this is from the aquarium, the guy who fly fish who got me back All right. running into it. Okay. Yeah. We found out very quickly. We didn't like each other that much. The problem was, is that it was September in Alaska. It had already snowed. So I, at that point I'm like, awesome. I drove up the highway and I'm screwed now. I can't get back down. Oh, you did I, the drive. Yeah. So I drove in it three days by myself. Um, and then I was stuck up there for like basically a year until it stopped snowing with him. Uh, no, that didn't last as long, but I eventually <laughs> found another place to live and, and it worked out fine. Yeah. Right. We're still friends. So it's fine. So what did you do for work up there? I worked at a vet clinic again. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. It worked out great. Um, my roommate and I, uh, we used to buy old FJ forties and rebuild them and then sell them to people up there. Cool. Ass, um, yeah. made a super cool. Anytime we drove into like home Depot. Oh yeah. We pick up everybody. <laughs> There's like every dude there was like, bring on the FJ forties and two chicks walking out. <laughs> Um, so that was fun. And then I decided to move back, back down to Seattle and I did the bar, worked at his bartender. And then I was like, well, I'm going to work at the fly shop since I already do it all the time. And then I just never left. And this is a fly shop in? That's Avid Angler. Yeah. Okay. That's where, so that's where I met Ryan you. So that, yes. That brings me yes. up. Now, when did you start <clears throat> working there? It was the end of 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in my heavy bar going days still. And I remember I used to go in and um, (laughs) I remember closing the bar down at like two, driving straight out to like Lakeland East and fishing it the next day Uh and then still making it back into like the next morning to work. It was, it was interesting. Yeah. It was a special experience, yeah. This is something that you and I <laughs> yeah, have for sure. I love driving by myself different places. It was fun. So you start working at the shop. Started working at the shop. Started um, just full-time working in there. It was pretty fun. I worked there for many years. One of my favorite memories of you. Oh, this yeah. is a good one. I'm yes. Scared. No, so <laughs> I remember we were doing a, um, it was the spay class. And I had to get up. Ryan, oh, yeah, Ryan decided, or he had to do a trip right before out of kind of nowhere, I think. And so he was gone. He was like, oh, hey, threw it on. I'm not going to say his name just because I don't want to throw him under the bus. But um, one of the employees and I, you work in the shop all day. And so I got up early and helped you with casting in the morning. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, it was like seven or six or something. I had to get up and do that. And then we went back and then hung out for a little bit. And then you were like, okay, now we're doing the tying thing in the evening. And it snowed that night. That's right. I do remember Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. And um. By that point, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I mean, it was late. It ran. They're long days. I don't smoke weed. I never do. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever. And I did that night. And I also had a few drinks while you were in the back. And you were like segregated from us in the back room. I remember. Okay. And so this person and I were like, 
we f- were Googling stuff, whatever, looking at flies. I don't know what we were doing. Um, tying some flies up front at the register and whatnot. And somehow we got on the conversation of magic eye. Magic eye. Like, remember in Mallrats where like Jay and Silent Bob and how they can't see the sailboat or whoever it was? I haven't the- seen it. Okay. Where you stare at it long enough, they used to have them in like all the malls growing up and you stare at this like weird oh, yeah. thing and, and it you pops see something, out, right? For sure. Magic eye. Yeah. yeah. So we found that it was on Google. Like there's some of the magic eye pictures. And so we started pulling them up and having magic eye races. Okay. Right? Yeah. No big thing. Like well, you then, can see it first. Yeah. And then all of them, one of the ones that came up was like, it was, it was a big dick. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what? There's magic eye porn out there? <laughs> so of course we're like, well, let's look at magic eye. Let's Google this now. And you, as we Googled it, you walked up from the back <laughs> and walked up to us and you're like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we're just looking at magic eye porn. Like it's normal. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I remember you looking at us like weird US people are doing these creepy things. And meanwhile, and it's so hard for me to shut off when I'm in my professional state. Yes. And when I'm teaching, like I'm... You, you were know. running up from the back to get something Materials, like material or something. Yes. Yeah. So you probably, <laughs> we were just like, duh, what are you doing? Like, it was pretty funny. Was that the time that the power went out? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was snowing. Funny. Yeah. And the do- my dog yep. was underneath the tables. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is hilarious. But and then I- he kept looking outside, wanting somebody to play in the snow with him. And you, we were like, sorry, you're, she's still in the back time, buddy. Oh, yeah. yeah he was that's super right. cute. Yeah. But I had met you before, right? Yeah. That was my second time at the shop. Yeah. I'd met you. Um, you had done a tying thing earlier on. Yeah. We did mm-hmm. done a tying yeah. class together. Yeah. Now, were you hardcore into tying flies at that point? Yes. But because there was no social media really as much, nobody knew it. Yeah, well, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think I actually remember you tying flies when I was there. I might have been. But now yeah. you've really like you've really gone off the deep end with these flies. Yeah. So when I um when I well, it wasn't really when I realized I wanted a divorce, but it was summer. <laughs> that would have been way long into it. I decided I was like, you know, I need to promote the guiding service and I need to figure out a way to get people's attention. And I don't want to whore myself out online. And so I thought, I'm going to post a fly a day on Instagram. And so I went through for a couple years, actually, posting almost a fly a day. And it helped a ton. To do what? Just to gain um, attention to at least the, in me. And then it then had people say, more, I have more people that book guide trips just to see flies. Yeah. Um, because they, you were guiding, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Where were you guiding? I was guiding Puget Sound Beaches. And mm-hmm. how long did you do that for? Oh, God. Because you do still guide part-time, right? Or yes. here and there. Yeah, I yeah. do. Um, and your and new husband's a, a guy, as a full-time guide, right? He is, correct, yes. It would have been 2013, maybe? Okay, so you're guiding, though. 2012? Somewhere in there? I have no idea. When yeah. you're guiding full-time, you yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. And I was still in the shop, don't get me wrong, but it was more and more guiding and shop. So that would be why you wanted to still bring attention to yourself. Exactly. And then I knew that I was going to be needing to guide more and make more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when Instagram came on the scene, it was different than it. It wasn't like, I want you to follow me Mm -hmm. for any other reason. For me anyway, it certainly wasn't feeding my ego. It was that I wanted you to come and book. Totally. Totally. Okay. And now, yeah, that's a great way to do it. I, I wish that I had done it that way with flies. Really? You tie amazing flies. I know. That's why I should have done it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, look at me. Yeah. But the difference is, is that like, if I post, I could catch the biggest fish in the world. But if I post a picture of myself with a fish, people are like, yeah, I get a couple hundred likes. If I post a picture of a fly, it's like a thousand. Like what? Yeah. I because, get it. But like, no, but that's, that's what I mean. That's why people are following me. That, but that's why I wish that I had done yeah. it that way. I, I wish yeah. that I had done it that way. Because totally. then you can be like, you can be mm-hmm. faceless. Oh, totally. Not be bothered on the river. No. Uh, not be wondering why people are liking your stuff and not feel pressure to catch fish. Totally. Or be promoting hero shots. Yeah. So I think you did it. I think you did it a very admirable Thank you. way. Thank you. <laughs> I get okay. more of a kick vicariously living through people that do catch fish on my flies. Yeah. So like Jeff Forsey for one. Yeah. That was, well, that was one that I was like super excited. Let's about. talk but about anyways. your flies. That's what yeah. I really want to talk to you about. Okay. I mean, I've, I want to talk to you about a lot of stuff because we could talk for hours. you're real and I get you <laughs> and we're yes. the same, in the same age group and yes. like all of those things. Yes. And we'll kind of dabble in that along the way, but you tie a really beautiful fly. Thank you. You're welcome. And you've yeah. been doing it for a very long time. Yes. Uh, so you sell your flies? I do. I do mostly um, really custom stuff. Like I'll have people send me messages saying like one of them was like a guy that said, 
I'm going to fish the White River. There's these massive fish that hang out and they right under the fish cleaning stations where all the guys chuck all the stalker trout guts and carcasses. It's like any chance you'd be willing to tie up like a eight inch carcass fly. <laughs> what would that like, look like? It was like um, a spine with monofilament attached to like uh, yarn and other crap. And so that it just looks like bloody flesh attached to a spine and then like a head. But I was like trying to think about how they would fish it as to where like to put the hook. Are you yeah, dead drifting it? Are you like, how do you do that? Right. So I ended up putting on like two hooks and saying, just cut one off if you don't use it. I don't know where the hell to put it. <laughs> yeah. Cause would they take it from the, from the tail end or would they come at it from well, the side? Well, that's the thing. Like they're yeah. not going to, it's not like a normal fishing like situation. Gnawing on it. Yeah. That's a strange yeah. one. Are you going to put it on an indicator? Like what are you doing with it? Did they work? I have no idea. I have no idea yet. I'm waiting to see. He's got them now. So, oh, so this, this is a new This thing. was a recent one. Yeah. How did Forcey get your, one of your flies? He messaged me through Instagram. And was like, hey, I need a Lennox imitation. Okay, yeah. For Mongolia then. You got it. And so I sent, this was like four years ago or so. So I sent him like, I'm so ADD. I tie one of each fly. I get, and then I get another idea <laughs> and I tie one of that fly. And then when I lose that one, I'm like, damn it. Like I have no idea what that looks oh, like. Oh, you need to take pictures of I them do. All. I have a million of them now. I've okay. learned my lesson. It just took years. So he, I sent him a bunch of flies. And one of the first big taming, or well, decent taming pictures that he actually posted was on one of them. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I love the fact that people get fish on flies I've tied in are other you, places. Are you selling your patterns to companies, like manufacturers, to do and you know to make in bulk? I am no, but I'm designing it for Rio to do it. Okay. Oh, that's right. Because Rio is that a secret? No, not anymore. Rio purchased. No, we. So what we or did? Farbank purchased. Rio um, just decided to get into flies. So what happened was, is Patrick Kilby, who used to work for Idlewild. He and I, they brought us into Farbank. To, I was at customer service and he was in uh, repairs, I think. And then they were like, oh, just kidding. We're pulling you over to have you do flies, which no one is allowed to know about. So the two of us have been designing all of the signature patterns for Rio for the last two years, three years now, but nobody's known about it until the last year. It's been pretty quiet, right? It has, yes. Yeah. And now it's, it's getting bigger now. There's more shops buying in and whatnot. So I, all I do all day long is tie flies at my desk. And my dog literally craps out flashaboo because I'll bring my dog in and he'll lay all over the floor and then it ends up on his fur. He'll like lick it off. And then it, everyone knows if I don't clean up dog shit in front of Sage because he'll sit there and like crap out glow in the dark poop. And then we send off whatever samples or whatever we've developed to the manufacturers or the, the fly tying companies that we work with factories overseas. And then they send us back counter samples and then we develop them and then Rio sells them. Okay. So your stuff is being manufactured overseas mm -hmm. though in, in bulk. It is. It's just not called out as mine. It's going to be under the Rio's surname. I don't know what you want to call that. You don't take like, a royalty man. though? No, but I get paid to sit on my butt and tie flies all day. So okay. it works. <laughs> so is that your full-time job? That's all I'm doing. Yeah. Is tying flies mm -hmm. and designing flies, obviously. Yeah. Are you aligned with any material companies? So we, I am um, personally with HMH for vices with, um, like Jay Stockard and Deer Creek and some of the others. And then you and I actually are with American Museum fly fishing together, I think actually, aren't we? That's right. And then aside from that, we just, we have like a fly shot set up system and, and with pegs along the walls and everything. It's pretty awesome. You should come by at some point. Look. Yeah, I'd love to. It's pretty fun. Now I have sold one of my patterns or a couple of patterns yeah. to uh, Montana. I'm not, I'll just say it as like it is a Montana fly company. Yeah. Great guys. Yeah. But it makes me, it actually does my head in mm -hmm. because you go through so much back and forth trying to get your sample back. Yes. And I'm obviously like you, very picky about, you know, yes. is the, the mass proper and like, is totally. the volume in the fly, right? Yes. I don't want to have a big yeah. bulky fly, obviously. Yeah. And then you work back and forth with these companies to get the sample, totally. right? Yeah. And then you go into a fly shop and you look in the bins. And you're like, that looks like shit. Bastardized. Yeah, totally. Um, how do you manage that? So the beauty of it is, is that without having signature tires, with us being that person, we basically can manage a lot of that in that if they don't have a material we used in a pattern, they'll let us know and we can say, okay, switch it out with this then, as opposed to having to then email the person like, say, you that did design it, get your approval and then find out maybe that isn't even available anymore. So the other thing that's really weird is that anything that you and I could fit nine chenille wraps in, they'll fit 35 <laughs> Yeah, every time. So it's like 
when you can't just get away with saying less, it has to be like exactly 8.5 wraps of chenille and then this. Oh, is that what it is? So technical. For me, it's the dubbing. They Mm -hmm. they just put They can't pick it out either. They can't pick it out. No, they don't know how to do that. And I understand it takes time. You know, yes, and time. precision, which For sure. it, it all comes down down to that and yes. money, right? But uh, yeah, the whole less yes. please is not working yes. for them. Yes. And it's actually made me almost pull my flies a couple of times because then what will happen is you'll have somebody review your fly and they'll say, you know, but it's uh-huh. a little heavy on X, Y, and Z and it makes you look like a rookie. And you're like, but I didn't tie that. But I didn't tie that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's hard to manage that. Totally. And, you know, I had, um, I went through it. I had patterns with another company as well. And I got out of that and contract to do the Rio thing. So I didn't have to deal. I mean, it, I went back and forth and back and forth. So I have a couple of patterns and my husband has some patterns with solitude and we get like 64 cent checks in the mail. Yeah. Royalty is $15 every quarter. Yeah. I'm like, you just needed cash that just to say you did, buddy. Like, It's not even worth it. <laughs> no, it's not. No. Uh, but then like the other thing is, is it's, it's so much more than just like my, like, than vanity and ego. Like you look at the hobos, mm-hmm. hobos bay where the hook is placed. Yeah. It's, it's actually detrimental to the fish. Oh, it, for sure. It's hanging so far back that it's hard. It's, it's tongue yeah. in these fish. It's hard to manage that. And usually like that sort of thing in particular, you have to tell them it needs to be exactly this distance back. Okay. So maybe and it just comes down to communication just, with numbers. Exactly. And okay. some of the companies out there will just say, hey, I want this fly. And they won't say, but you need to do this exactly this distance and stuff like that. So it makes it. That makes sense. It's managing that. Yeah. And you're right. Substitution of materials. I could tell them I want eight pieces of Rhea in something, yes. which I did. But then if they have to use ostrich... It's going to be a different effect. It's a totally (laughs) different fly altogether. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Let's talk about materials a little bit. Yes. Um, What, that's just for people listening. What, what kind of flies do you tie mostly? Because I don't see you tying size 16 chronomids. Oh, yeah. I, that's the only thing I will tie in a 16, just to be clear. Is it smaller? Yes. (laughs) Totally. I love it. (laughs) That said, I generally, I have a really creepy, fun fascination with Squid and shrimp. I love them. I love them so much. I love tying them. I love watching them in the water. It's been a long time that you've been like that. Yeah, for sure. Steelhead, shrimp, prawns situations. Love doing that. Flat wings and then um, any bait fish. Okay. But shrimp in particular have been my recent addiction. Now that then, recent yeah. shrimp that you did, the game-changing shrimp. Oh yeah, I love that. I'm obsessed with that. It's incredible. But I was yeah. watching it in the swim tank and it has hella movement. Yeah. Do shrimp swim like that or do they swim with their legs? So it depends on the shrimp in particular. Like species, you mean? Yeah. And some people are going to call different mysis and euphosids and all of them are going to be shrimp, but yet they're going to all be totally different in movement. So there's going to be like one of the ones people talk about generally is they're going to say, okay, sand shrimp, for example. It's it's really going to behave more like lobster Mm. in terms of the swimming direction. And yeah. the tail and the placement. So they, that they one swim forward, right? Yeah. So it ends up with you need to put the hook in totally different position, and you can't put it reverse it and have the hook at the back for a game changer. It won't swim the same. No, of course not. So it ends up being a lot of trial and error. We have this awesome, really ghetto inflatable pool in the summer in the backyard. So that thing ends up being the swim tank, like the big swim tank. And there's been a lot of failures in that. Big swim tank. Is that so that you can strip it back? Because I know with the totally. swim tanks, because it doesn't do we, it. We both have one of those swim tanks with a pump uh, yeah. with the water that cycles through, and it just shows what it looks like in current, but it doesn't show what it looks it's like. It's not stripped. realistic. Yeah. No. And you can never put it in the tube because that's like mock speed. Yeah. So it's useless. But yeah, I, it, it doesn't, it's not realistic. Right. Yeah. There's guys that have been using that shrimp for triple tail in Texas. What's triple tail? The best eating fish in the entire world. Is there another name for it? I have no freaking clue. It's, I don't know. It looks like a big perch with three tails. What are they using? Which flies are they using? For so that? they're using the um, game changer shrimp for that. And obviously it's working. It's working well because they need to be like, they suspend perfectly, completely neutral buoyancy, which is awesome. How are you doing with your crab patterns? They're doing all right. A lot of the crab patterns that I've been tying, I can't post because I end up using them for a Rio. Yeah. So oh, you can't post the flies that you use for Rio? No. And I don't post anything that I've tied with materials for Rio. What do you mean? I don't. Everything is my home materials that I post. Oh, I see what you're saying. Every Keep once in a separate. while. Yeah. I'll throw it in the tank there at work just to be like, but I tie it at home just to, just to make sure I'm being nice and yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't want to give away anything that I end up, you never know what I could go back and say, oh, eh, maybe that would be one I should send off. And so I don't want to go back and wish that I hadn't posted it. So everyone in the grandmother can see it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so most of the stuff that weirdly is my favorite stuff, I don't post. Oh, that's a tough situation. To <laughs> yeah, it's totally. You know, it's always fascinating yeah. to me that a, a permit, for example, will take a live crab. For sure. But it's so hard to get them to take a fly. It's the way it sinks every time, I swear. Do you, so is that what you think it is? Mm -hmm. Or do you think it's movement? Like, do you think we need to make their little legs move? I think it's a couple things. I think everyone ties the Merkins wrong. Oh, I feel like they need, you can't just, well, I I mean, I don't freaking know that well. I mean, God knows I don't, I'm by no means an expert, not even close on that. But I will say that the crabs from legit tires I have seen all have them so that the legs are on the top side, not even with the actual Antron or Polyarn or Lydia's or whatever. It's, they're like up and kicking up like a V on top. Interesting. So you tie them. Basically on the, um, it's going to be hook up anyways. So it's going to be on that upside and tie them in as a V on top so that they end up like that as opposed to like flat out. I see what you're Mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. It drives every guide that I've talked to gets so annoyed about the way Merkins are tied or that type of fly with the legs if they're not right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. What other flies have you got these opinions on? That's probably that and the bait fish eyes. It drives me crazy when they do like a ball for a head on bait fish. Okay. Yeah. Like a ball of what? Just like epoxy for the head. Okay. Yep. It drives me nuts. I'm like, figure out how to put eyes further back and make it so it doesn't look like it's got a ball for a face. Yeah. Why do they have to ball it up? I don't, it's just because it ends up bulbous looking. Like it's just laziness and putting on epoxy and then throwing it in a head turner. It is, yeah. I wonder how much of that has to do with it being tied overseas. Yeah. Because they would be dipping it, you think? Or I don't know what they're doing with it, but using like some of the UV products, which have been by far the number one advancement in fly tying in the last 20 years, in my opinion. Um, being able to use some of that stuff just to lock the eyes into position where you want them and then go in with epoxy would solve everything. Talk to me about this UV thing and can you explain it for people listening who don't know what you're talking about? So it's basically when you go to the dentist's office and you eat too much sugar like I do, you end up with a cavity and they hit it with the UV light when they're trying to set the, whatever the hell they use, I don't know, resin? Sure. Um, So (laughs) it's the same as that, only it's a UV resin for flies and it's clear. Fly tying companies have like, God knows how many different versions of them. Some of them smell like a cross between the most potent pine cone and weed mixed. Some of them don't smell, but they end up with like this weird polymer slimy feel afterwards. Yeah. But they're still set. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, I always hit them with like hard as hell after and that. And it smells like something's burning sometimes. Oh, yeah. it's I always like it's kind of entertaining when your light is actually good enough and the batteries are right enough to where it like yeah. smokes. I've actually gotten it on my finger and like gotten, given myself a blister before. Seriously? And some of them with the new lights are so powerful that um, Deer Creek sent me one of those, um, the infinite thing or like the ones that you plug in with the USB. Oh, wow. And things like on crack, it, it goes nuts. It's well, awesome. We've come a long way. But can yeah. you explain to people why UV yes. materials would matter? Good call. Um, so one of the best things is is building a head on a bait fish, for example. You could stick on two Not eyes. In <laughs> <Yep>. Not in a ball. <laughs> Not in a ball. We don't like balls at all, Well, by the way. <laughs> They're useless <laughs> in all areas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So you could stick on two eyes and instead of taking super glue and having it drip all over the place and make your fly look like crap, you basically can take it and you can add a drop of UV stuff in between the top of the two eyes together, like in the center. And then you could do it on the bottom, hit it with a light and they stay in place. And then you could go back and fill it in to form the head shape you want. So it's like clear liquid putty and that you can mold it to whatever, not mold it, but you can add to build up whatever shape you want and it appears on the outside like epoxy. The thin versions you could go in say and as you're tying a fly with feathers that need to be a certain direction say like a cockroach for tarpon or something like that or a deceiver with two feathers out the sides off the back end and one of them starts twisting you could go back in there and say okay I'm going to take some UV to that and you could put a drop of that on hit it with a light and it immediately solidifies it so that you don't actually have to pull that feather out and retie it in. What about from a fishing stance, though? Do they glow in, in the water? What there are some that do have glow properties to them. There are some that you could do some of the, one of the cuter squids that I've done. I've added uh, polka dots to. Do um, we know if this UV thing works? Because it's not just in true. epoxy style. I mean, they also sell yep. um, UV 
like materials. there's like peacock hair that they've dipped in. I, yeah. I don't I don't buy that for anything. But I do with some of the other products, I would say. Um, but what do they say happens? Does it capture sun and hold light and then glow down there? Is yes, it's supposed saying? to. Yes. Or does it have something to do with spectrum of light and refraction? Like, I don't understand. It's how some that of that. I have works. no freaking clue. It all came in after I had already been very successful with my very basic flies. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of, I don't see people getting more successful because of UV. So I kind of just, I don't no. know, didn't pay much attention to it. I don't know if it matters. Most of the stuff, the shit that I use is just the clear okay. for the most part. Right. With a couple colors, every once in a while to make it look cute. Right. And it is nice <laughs> that you can make it dry fast. Oh, yeah. Because I don't have time. I don't want to epoxy anything. Anything. I haven't used epoxy in God knows how long. Um, it also makes it so that I can add for popper heads. If you want to paint popper heads, you could coat it with UV. It immediately solidifies that color so that then you could go over and have Sally Hansen's or something like that be used over that and then not have it eat the foam. Right. So... It, that kind of works. And the Sally Hansen's or whatever epoxy, whatever you use, yeah. then ends up um, hardening it. What do you think about dubbing brushes? Pre-made dubbing brushes, Enrico style. I uh, love them. I use them. I don't, uh, I don't use them in a lot of flies just because it, they're expensive. Yeah, um, they are expensive. I would rather do them myself. Yeah, so you have one of those machines that you put your wire in and... I do. Yes. And we, uh, that's one of the beauties of where we work or where I work is that we have engineers there. Right. And so we were able to use some of the rod turning, uh, motors and get some done. It's super awesome. That's great. Um, so we play around with that a fair amount. It is, it's very, very difficult and methodical the way you have to do it to get it super consistent. I don't, I think those are great, especially for people getting into it for especially bonefish permit, things like that. And his stuff is very meant for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Easy. Yeah. I have a hard time with some of it, except as like a pillow in intruders and such at the base. Aside from using it for that, I have a hard time with steelhead flies and stuff using those. Oh, so you like to have your own mm-hmm. controlled dubbing in that. Yeah. And then kind of, I feel like sometimes it just soaks up water, some of it. Oh, no, they do. For sure. They do. You can only, you have to yeah. use like one wrap and then even then, and you can't just pull it out. You know, with your own dubbing balls, you just oh, I know. Can pull it out. But with, when they're trapped in the wire like that, you've got to No, yeah, you can't. And then you stab yourself with the wire. Yeah. You actually have marks on my <laughs> do finger from doing it that has not gone away <laughs> from get your fingers. Yeah, no, it's it's painful. Mm-hmm. But it is nice what I found is taking them and sort of like pairing them like you would marabou um, when you're matching like two different colors of feather right together and tying it or palmering it. Yeah. Doing the same with some of the longer chenilles, like the finesse fiber and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you could pair like the foxy brush with that and then palmer like a whole body. And it looks really good. Talk to me about intruders. Yes. You would have been on the scene when the intruder... Yes. Revelation came. Yes. And the intruder today is a lot different than what the intruder was. Oh, there yeah. are intruder variations is what For sure. Are. What are your thoughts? Just I'm just like going through my mm-hmm. own pet peeves and asking you about them selfishly. What are your thoughts on people? Mm-hmm. I need to put this into perspective for, or into context for people listening who yes. don't know what I'm talking about. An intruder is a streamer pattern yes. that was developed by Edward yep. for Steelhead. And it's really got um, a, a voluminous, not a ball, but like a... Um, kind of is. Yeah. I mean, it's like a... It's like dubbing with overlaying materials mm-hmm. in the back. And then there's really not a whole lot going on in the middle. Yes. And then it's got, again, a, a repeat in the front. So you've got more of like a dubbing ball yeah. with overlaying materials. And it's yep. designed to be able to hold a large profile. Yes. Um, be able to dance and flow as it goes yeah. through the current as you swing it and not be so overdressed that it just absorbs water and you can't cast it. Totally. In a it's nutshell. like two chandeliers with a post in the middle. Oh, you're a beautiful woman. I try. That's exactly try. what yes. it is. That's how I pick up my men. <laughs> <laughs> you are trouble. I know. Just so you know. <laughs> sure. um, what are your thoughts on people who feel the need to fill that middle part with a bunch of material? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anything should go there except body braid or diamond braid or braid of some sort. I mean, if you're really, really going crazy and have to put a hackle in between, you could palmer that carefully with wire and over a braid. And that is all it should be. Agreed. Yes. It needs to to be. Yes. It needs to be. The fish isn't going to give a shit if there's something in the middle of it. It But you aren't going to be able to cast as well. It hurts my eyes. Yes. It bothers me. 
What are your thoughts on people who substitute Osteoderia with rubber legs? It kind of looks like a a bass um, skirt jig. Yeah, and they're just really hard to cast. I personally haven't cast one. Look, they work. I know they work. He's a genius. For sure. I've tried casting them. And look, you can cast anything, but all I can hear as it goes through the air is, (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) It's terrifying. That's a really good visual. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. That's just for your eyes only. Um, Okay, so you haven't cast one. Yeah, no, they're not. No, I haven't. But I remember when those came out, and that is all we heard about in the shop. Right, but you do mm-hmm. put them into other flies just, um, you know. I love rubber legs, yeah, but just don't put them in that maybe then. Not not, not, as, as not all. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Or if you cut it back to not as many, I think it would be fine. Mm-hmm. Little micro versions I've seen and heard that people do all right with. Yeah. Um, but that, that big one, that's a big one. It's a tough one. Yeah. What are your thoughts on tube flies? I, uh, I like them, but I know in general it scares the majority of the public. It does, yeah. Um, they don't yeah. understand how to rig it, how to do it. Yeah, you worked at the fly shop. What, yeah. what would happen when you'd suggest a tube fly? They'd look at us and be like, it's missing a hook. Oh. And, and you- so we started putting hooks automatically in them, like junction tubing and hooks, and then just showing them how to do it every time. Okay, good idea. Um, but they still didn't understand like some of the other techniques. Like you're going to automatically shove in there a straight eye hook, right? Because it's got junction tubing. Mm. Um, instead of maybe you or I would run a loop with mono That's and then throw an you got yeah, yeah octopus eye or something uh, hook. Okay, so yeah. if you're not tying tube flies, yes, and I would imagine you're not just tying on straight hooks. Are you? Are you cutting off? Are you doing stinger hooks for salmon and steelhead? Yes. Well, sometimes it just depends. Like honestly. It depends on what most of my salmon right now is in the salt still. But for rate like generic salmon and steelhead stuff, I'm in a a stinger. Yeah. Okay. So what material do you use to attach your stinger hook? I use wire. Okay. I don't like to, but I don't like coating Dacron and I don't like the way that it wraps around and gets all weird and Mm, yeah, yeah. you miss a bite and you don't understand what's going on. You pull your fly in and if it's limp it will wrap up and grab itself. Yeah. Okay, so you, I always use the Rio Nautable wire. That's Yeah, I use that or like Senyo now does through Hairline, the Senyo's intruder wire. Yeah, he knows In what two he's doing. sizes. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, what's your specialty? Which, which fly are you most proud of? A flat wings. Yeah? I love flat wings for, in bait fish form. I, people probably know me more, I would say, for the steelhead flat wing that I had done, that prawn. At least that's one that is one of the prettier flies. But in general, baitfish, flatwing baitfish. I love it. I love everything about it. Okay. When you tie on your flatwing, what are you using? Are you using pheasant? Um, I'll use like rooster saddle feathers. Okay. Yeah. So when you do this, then how many, I love flatwings, how many do you tie in? Yeah. And and how many steps do you do it in? Like I always used to do three. Yes. And I do them all individually. And it was always hard because I have to flatten the stem with your fingernail. I do it every time still individually. Yeah. Okay. You do. Mm-hmm. So do you flatten the stem with your fingernail first? It depends. You generally used to. And if if it's a, if it's going to twist and you didn't tie it in right or didn't tighten on the right direction with your like bobbin, for example, it's going to twist no matter how much glue you put on generally. That said, if I know it's probably not going to twist, I can add a like drop of UV mm-hmm. and then lock it a little bit more as like insurance. And that's not cheating. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. And it still has the same movement because it's still 90% of the feather is still going to be able to move and whatnot. So and I think it adds durability. It does. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. So how many do you do? Uh, feathers wise, just depends ADD me when I decide I'm done. <laughs> but more than one? Well, yeah, I'll do on probably, generally on average, it's about three to five. Okay. And yeah. that's in one station. Like at the back, I'll do usually three. And then if I go to the front and do a front station to it's like a wing, mm-hmm. um, I'll do maybe two. Oh, okay. So are, sometimes do you, do you, t- do you tend to put most of the volume of your flies in the front? No, back. Interesting. Why? So it doesn't foul as easily. But the ones at the front. Like most animals well, out there have a natural taper. They do. Um, but if you, with the front ones, what I do then is I take bucktail and blend it really well and then use that as a collar so it adds and gives it that like 
fat body. And it maintains its body through the water. You got it. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. It also prevents it, the back feathers from fouling up from as well. Good like call. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you do you reinforce your your feather wings? Um, not really. No. You don't tie. You don't fold the stem back and tie it off. No, not at all. I glue the shit out of it. Wow. Okay, I put so in a drop of glue. For sure. Yeah, as like I'm wrapping over that. Yeah. Counter ribbing with wire. Yes, yes, yes. On everything. I hate doing it. Do I do it on my own flies? Hell no. It's a waste of my time. I caught a fish on another it. one. Yeah. Yeah. But for the consumer? Yes, I need to do it. I don't like it, but I do. Okay. <laughs> Coming up, Britta and I continue our conversation. Again, thank you to Olakai for making this episode possible. At Olakai, they handcraft Hawaii-inspired footwear, finding inspiration in Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines and sandy beaches. They spearfish, throw nets, fly fish, and navigate their boats beyond the reef and into the deep blue in search of their next big catch. No matter how they do it, there's an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Olakai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Olakai's water-friendly Noheamoku slip-on shoe features razor siping with non-marking rubber for extra grip on the deck, the dock, or the rocks, and it's designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. And when it comes to sandals that perform, Olukai's new ulele provides the comfort and durability of a sneaker for those long days on the boat or on the shore. I've been wearing my Peiwea Lee Hulus during long travel days between fishing trips, and I'm loving their signature drop-in heel feature, which makes it easy to slip them on and off at the airport or riverbank. Whether you're loading up the boat, shoreline fishing from the rocks, or scoping out the best place to set up on the beach, Olukai takes you further. Shop or find your local retailer at olukai.com forward slash anchored. Again, that's O-L-U-K-A-I dot com forward slash anchored. Traditional spay flies. Yes. Do you tie any of those? I, I do. Yes. Yes, I love them. They're so pretty. Do you feel it's your duty to know about the history of them? Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, I do. I probably should brush up on it more, but I do. I've read the book. Like the spay and D flies, like the original one. Yeah, but I don't remember it's much. So of it. Inter- Re- I know the feather John Shuey's like, book. Yeah. Um. So you read spay flies and D flies with John Shuey. Yes. So that book um is incredible. Obviously, I had yeah. him on the show. Oh, you did. And he was saying I want to know. Me, you you have to listen to it. He was saying to me that one of his biggest regrets, though, is that he misinformed the public with that book by painting the image that a spay fly is a spay fly so long as the wing is like a canoe on top, right? Yeah, it was, I thought it was that and the actual, like the, um, the collar and the blue ear, depending on how that extends, right? That's right. So he went on to apologize to say oh, really? that he's actually misleading. I did not know that. Then. And in more research, what he's found is that an actual spay fly, a true spay fly, yeah. had to be originated on the spay river. So basically- Crazy. It, yeah, in a certain era- Yes. And it had to have, um, I'd have to do a brush up on this, but you have to have obviously the hackle tied it, tied it I believe, by the tip. And there okay. were a couple other, uh, oh, there were counter ribbing. There were a couple other characteristics that yes. ma- made it a spay fly. So you and the two of us, our era after that book, which was a game changer in the yeah, industry. Yeah, for sure. A lot of us today are calling spay flies spay flies that aren't actually spay I would have thought, like, say, a lady. Caroline Carol- is a spay fly. I would have thought, yeah. But Sid Glasso's orange heron is not. What the f- Yeah. It blew up my brain. Yeah. And and Sid knew it wasn't. And because a lot of people don't know this, but Sid's protege, who people don't even know is actually his protege because he is very, very quiet. And other yeah. people have tried to take claim for being his protege, is my mentor. Crazy. He's the reason why I know a lot about the history. That's awesome. Yeah. And he has, has like, I've seen letters that Sid's, written you know what yeah I mean? it's crazy and and yeah he had made it very clear to me that Sid it always bothered him that when people called yeah. it a spay fly he wanted to make it clear it was a variation and it's just interesting because here we are now in our day yeah. talking about intruders totally. and having to be like no no the, the actual intruder looks like x and when we tie y it's a variation yeah it's the same with spay rods you know there's no such thing as a spay rod 
Yes. There's just two-handed rods and we've we've called them. We'll call them whatever the hell they spay rods. And for consumers, yeah. But yeah, no, so interest you need to you need to yes. follow up with the I John need to. Chewy Well, podcast. the other thing um so when I worked at Avid Angler, I worked with Alex, uh, Alex Jackson's son. Cool. Um and he used to come in a fair amount and um he it was really funny because his son, his mom Rose, Alex's wife, and him used to come in every, like, I think it was Monday. And uh, Stephen and I would be working together. And I remember they used to bring me, like, a Big Mac and bring Stephen a salad. And he used to get so pissed every time. It was pretty <laughs> funny. It was totally, it might have been a hint. I don't know. But he used to come in and he used to burn the absolute shit out of every one of my chronomids. And I would give it to him and he'd be like, he would light it up. He's like, if there's still a flame on it, then you didn't do it. Because I would leave little fuzzes like little tiny threads and whatnot that I wouldn't go through and completely clean up, either cauterize off or cut off. And he was like, it won't, it won't work if you have thread near the head or whatnot. Even if I epoxied the body, he'd go back over it. It was pretty funny. I learned to do it though and make sure that everything was perfectly smooth and clean. Do you use fingernail clippers? Do you use nail clippers, scissors, or? I cauterize the shit out of stuff. Interesting. I love it. It's my favorite tool ever. Plus you could give yourself prison tattoos if you get bored. <laughs> <laughs> so how do they work then? How, how so it work? it's like, um, it's like a weird little wire hot tip thing. Oh, I have one. I've never used it. Oh my God. You're going to love it. I'm terrified of it. No, you could, it, um, it looks like a police, like a police brutality instrument. I don't know. You just, it gets super red hot and you could basically take it and like any fiber that you have, whether it be natural or not, Obviously, don't do it after you've added glue. I've done that. It's scary. Oh, oh okay. No, this is important information. Yes. Do so you um, have to do it before glue? Yeah, otherwise it blows up. I mean, it doesn't blow up, but it, it's, don't it's a little scary. Don't underestimate people's common sense these days. Okay? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Obviously, mine either, because I tried it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, um, yeah, you could take it and you could stick it up through the eye of the hook. Mm-hmm. And it gets rid of all the stuff that you're tying down at the very end that's still sticking out the front that micro tip scissors never still cut off. That's excellent. It's so fantastic. It's the greatest tool ever. Okay. And it runs off of like two AA batteries. Okay. I'm interested. Yeah, I'll you try need mine. to try using it. Okay. It's so Any other tools that have come out in the last decade that might be of use to people? Is everything really? else pretty much the same? Everything else is the same. It's just more expensive and cute, like prettier looking. Yeah. Do you do any modifications on your materials? Are, are there any materials that out, out there that just you love, but you need to fix them up? There is, <laughs> um, there is one specific feather that I have modified every natural feather out there in the world to try and mimic. Which what is it? It's I found out after the fact that it would be one that would be you probably get in less trouble if you had a bald eagle in your house than if you had this one. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. So there's a feather out yeah. there that you So can... I modified the crap out of other feathers, like by striping them and whatnot to try and mimic this awesome feather right? that, um, that I've acquired some of at one point. And um, I haven't found it. I do modify feathers, so I'll cut them. One of the things with UV products that you could do now is you can actually take like a silicone cup. Okay. And you can actually take like a hen feather. Yeah. Or a soft tackle feather and you could put them in the bottom of the concave cup and you could add a drop of loon, whether it be loon, Deer Creek, any of the companies that do the UV products. Mm-hmm. And you can actually then hit it with the UV light and it forms a perfect fin and then just peel it on out and tie it in. Oh, hey, that's a good trick. And then you can even go back and cut the feather and trim it the way you want it. You could do that. There's all sorts of different things you could Wait, do. Wait, so you now. tie the fin in? Yeah, tie it in like Does outward. It- but and does it, it make the fly spiral? It does that. It depends. If you use a heavy enough hook or you have dumbbell eyes on the front, you don't, you don't have to have an issue with it. So if you put dumbbell eyes on it, it stops it from doing that. Yes. It just makes it dart. It usually makes it do that. Like, like kind of Like a wiggle. quiver. Okay. Yeah. Do you play around with bleach burning at all? No, not a, not a ton. I guess but you I've don't have it. to nowadays. There are enough materials out there that you don't have to. Yeah. I've dyed a lot. Um, not dyed, art, but art dyed. Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, I played a lot with that and I dye a lot of the saddles for flat wings and stuff and stain my fingers. It looks like I've been rolling hash in my backyard and, <laughs> He's you know, the usual. <laughs> Why is it so hard? I think, you know, I think it's easy for me because I'm not trying to get bright colors. With the flat wings, you're looking at bait fish and muted colors and things like that. And I don't have an end result I care about. I'll do bare hair, things like that. 
Yeah. Um, and they turn out great. The people that have a harder time and it's more frustrating for are the ones that either have to bleach the material first to then do it, right? Like with Rhea and whatnot. Or they're trying to get the bright fluorescents and the purples and the hot pinks. Mm. Those are harder to get. Mm. It was a struggle. Yeah. You could get dolls of anything. Yeah. Um, the quality of the dye itself, like vineyards and some of the acid dyes are better than some of the... I, I could use to get away with writ for... Oh, like the clothing dye. Oh, yeah. That yeah. stuff rocks for bait fish flies and like just feathers for flat wings. What kind of thread do you use? Oh, God. I, I know. So <laughs> it's a loaded question, but it's really important and it's something that's overlooked yeah. so often. And it, it's the difference between... It's a huge difference. A really nice fly and yeah. that, you know, that's not... Yeah. I, I love ultra thread. I love it. Um, it's just that UTC ultra thread so and seven, 70 denier. Yeah. Okay. So you're flat. A I 70. love it. Okay. Yeah. The only thing is, is that, and whoever listened to this, please, whoever does ultra thread, it is like Stevie Wonder winds it on rolls right now. Like they, <laughs> it is, it is everyone I've gotten in the last year that I've ordered in has been the worst and I've had to throw away half it. So really, so what, what do you mean? So it's just wound on. It's wound on like my kids wind it on. It's awful. It's like if you wind on gel spun and you don't put a base underneath it, like just knots everything up. It's like horrible. That must be new. It is new. It's a newer thing. And it's a wide problem because I've seen jokes about it on Instagram. So it's not just me. Yeah. (laughs) What about Unithread? Are they still in business? They are. I don't like waxed thread as much and I don't like round thread as much. I don't like round thread. Legarten does one, but I don't know who stocks it. And the only thing oh, that's I know, a, so that's I know the people in Canada. So Ben, I know Ben, and he's the one who sent it to me, and I've been obsessed with it. Um, the only thing that's funny, I think, is that it's the notch in it is the wrong direction. Oh, so you can't do anything <laughs> yeah. with it. I'm like, what am I going to do with this now? But it, I have a lot of thread kicking around my house, like just little tank, like ends of it now, because it can't ever go in anything. Yeah, um, but explain, that stuff's really good. Let's explain to people why round thread might not be the ideal thread choice for them. True. And for feathers, especially, it's not fun because it actually pushes into the stem of it and it makes it want to kick up. Yeah. Well, round stem, round thread, everything just rolls. Totally. So flat is nice for that. The ultra thread, especially too, the way it's flat, not only is it sheen, which is really nice, like for chronomids, you could use it as a base, like just that's it. it. That's all you have to do is just wrap the whole body in that and do a rib of wire and you're done. But it makes it also, you use, I like I use, do thread wraps when I'm just thinking. Like unconsciously, I'll do it. And so you don't build up bulk with flat thread the oh, way you, you do just it round. randomly wind. I won't even pay attention. I'm just like ADD me. I'm like, oh, look, it's a squirrel outside. Let's look at that. Meanwhile, and I'll do a wrap. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I would slap your oh, hand I know. with a meter with a yardstick if you took my class and did that. I know, Deck Hogan too. <laughs> like what he did is he's like two wraps is all you need to tie it off. I'm like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> how, do you, how do you tie your flies off? Finish at, with a whip the finisher. End. You do, okay. Yeah, I, um, I can... Hand whip finish for sure, but I never, I never got so good at it that I was like, this, this is all I'm going to do. I, I'm, I'm good with whip finishing, so that's all I do. What color thread do you use? Oh, I usually use white on everything. Excellent. Can you please explain? It just doesn't matter, and plus, it sometimes makes it kind of fun to always know they're my flies too, even if it doesn't shouldn't have white on the front of it. Plus, you could go back and color it. That's exactly right. Color the hell out of it. Do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Or if you're new and you're used to overdressing, yes. you can mark where you mm-hmm. want to end something. Yeah. And Copic markers are out there now. Those things even fluoresce. You could go back through there. That's pretty awesome too, by the way. You could use Sharpies. Always carry Sharpies with you. That helps too. Everywhere. Yes. Yeah. All I'm all about it. Yeah. Um, you can make yourself look like Uncle Leo from Seinfeld too, if you get bored. You could. <laughs> or your friend who's passed out. Yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> what about the importance? Of, like, talk to me about the perfect deceiver. Oh God. Um, so for you, for you. Yeah. Um, the perfect deceiver for me would be less bucktail, more feathers. Why? Um, I think they have too much bucktail in them. It makes it look, the feathers don't move if there's too much bucktail in them. Like you don't want them foul, but there's too much feather or there's too much bucktail in it. And then, um, I would have better eyes and a head that's not a thread head. That drives me crazy again. Oh. It's like the ball head. I don't like it. Okay, so what kind of head would you prefer? I would put on normal eyes. Like, <laughs> sorry, they have so many eyes now, made after like 1995. So you don't need to use the shitty eyes that 90% of the companies put on their deceivers. So, are you using like holographic eyes? Yeah, like the 3D eyes. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, so right. many of them out there now. 
Yeah, they're There's great. Lots. Yeah. Yeah. Jungle cock cheeks. I love them for certain patterns like sand lances and such for Puget Sound. I think that that streamlined look works so well. There's a reason that Kenny Abrams did them in his striper flies initially when he did flat wings. That's what I geek out of over, by the way. Okay. <laughs> you still have big history of like, I love the striper thing. And I can, I've never, I, can I don't see do that in yeah. your, in, in <laughs> Such your a nerd style. With that. Yeah. Um, and then there's times where you want a bigger, more prominent eye. Cause in the, like bait fish out in the saltwater, they all school together. So when fish are targeting one piece of bait, they have to be able to pick it out from the school. So the best way to do that is to find the head based on the eyes and suck in the rest. So you could have a sea run cutthroat that'll be like 14 inches and it'll inhale a seven inch flat wing with one single hook. And you'll have those guys that come in there and they're like, you need a stinger on that. That's not going to catch anything. And I'm like, no, if that fish wants it, it's going to freaking eat it. Has yeah, no problem. It's tough because we don't know what part of the fish, mm-hmm. what, part, what part of the fly the fish yeah. is taking. Yeah, yeah they fish, always go for the head in the saltwater. In the saltwater. You yeah. know, you're totally right. They do. They always do. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself that if I'm tying freshwater stuff because I'm like, oh shit, they're not, this is not saltwater. What's your biggest frustration with yes. hooks? Oh, geez. Or, um, or are there any? Have we? No, finally- there for sure are. Yeah. And you know, some of the best hooks out there don't f- have the whole form follows function situation going. I tied a fair amount on a new really cool bended, um, like kicked up bend open gape hook and had it open up on me a little bit on a bonefish. No, granted, I was using heavier leader than I should have. But that said, it means like we brought it back home to work. I brought it back and we have an Instron machine at work. A what? <laughs> it's a tensile strength testing machine. Cool. It's freaking rad. And it tested the strength of it and it was around 12 pounds is what it took to actually open it up. And we were like, you know, you and I know that we can probably, the normal human being can only put 12 pounds of pressure on a fish when they're fighting it. That's assuming they're fighting it perfectly. So unless I'm pointing the rod straight at it and pulling straight back with like 20 pound test something, that's not going to happen again. And in hindsight, I was probably doing close to that at that time. So it works out fine. We were like, you know, this is actually going to work. But that said, it's, they got, people got to think a little bit before they just create cool hooks. Um, I did most hooks now that I know so much about all the hooks from tying on so many different brands and whatnot. It's very obvious to me which ones are tied and tempered in the exact, or, you know, made and tempered in the exact same village in Japan. You could tell which ones are exactly the same versus across different companies. It's very a small world in hooks. Do you have a <clears throat> brand in particular that you're fond of? I not necessarily brand. I have a love affair with the Gamakatsu uh, SL12S short shank, the heavy. Okay. I love it. I love it. What's I would the, use it for everything. The eye of that do? Um, it's a straight eye, but it's a short shank heavy stainless. It also is very similar to the owner Aki and the 600 SP. Okay. You Just are so you know. such a dork. I know. I totally <laughs> am. It's kind of like the Daiichi, the 20, I think it's the 2457. And the 811S are also very similar. Ooh, the saltwater flies. I, from, I do know yeah. what you're talking about yeah. there. So There's a lot of stuff. I there. get it. What about the difference in fishing a straight eye versus an upturned, not as a stinger mm-hmm. or in a two fly? <clears throat> I just mean in general, straight to leader. So more than anything, I would say it depends on the fly. I look at it and don't look at it as deeply as some people do. Um, you know that it has said that the reason why flies were yeah. were made upturned was because the Brits were literally turning oh, their for noses sure. up, totally. right? Yeah, for sure. It wasn't necessarily practicality. And, and then it was, you know, people used to say, well, you know, grease line situation, all that. So let's exclude the steelhead situation out of sure, it. Sure, sure. And I would say that generally I look at it and think, if I make this eye so crowded, which one is going to be l- less painless to tie a knot in and loop through? And I go with that. So... Obviously, if you're tying like a foam head something or other, don't use an F, like upturned eye. It's going to be painful to try and thread that through and knot it and all that. That's that's all I think about, really. So not a fishing stance. No, not I don't care at all. Um, I do. I do mostly since I do like most of it's saltwater. Yeah. Like as far as fishing wise, I do a loop fly and everything. I even do a loop fly and trout stuff. I'm sure if you talk to a trout guy, they're going to say. They're going to have, with their expertise, they're going to have exactly reasons why they do different things. Wait, a loop fly? Or I do a loop knot. A loop knot, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. so yeah, they're going to have different reasons that they fish a different one. But yeah, down eyes, Chernobyls, things like that, where you have foam. But all the saltwater hooks are always pretty much straight eyes, so I just go with it. Stick with it, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, what else do I want to ask you? I don't know. Is there something that you're really proud of? Or oh, do you have a God. do you have a do you have a trick that not very many people know that you're willing to share here? <laughs> um besides the UV thing, which is a good one. You could do so much with that. Also furling. Uh pe- that's another good one. Like people furling? don't do fur they don't furl things enough. Like twisting over itself, like you used to do with like rubber bands and things as a kid. You twist it so much that it and then fold it back over itself. No, I don't understand. Walk me through it. Um, so basically, you could take anything, any material that, say, a string you have, a shoelace, whatever, twist it enough that it wants to fold back over itself. It wants to like bunch up and tangle, right? Yeah, and like I get, for, I fish for old leaders for sure. How, about, so, how does it work with fly tying? So you can take different stuff that you haven't tried doing that with and add different materials to it and when it folds it back over itself naturally you can add those materials to it so you can furl wire with chenille along with it you can furl tubing with dubbing attached to it you can furl there's a lot of things i furled rubber legs any other tricks you know the best thing for me is number one take pictures of every fly when you're done with it because you never know what fly you're going to lose. And then you'll be able to go back and say, oh, that's the one I did that on. Or that's the one that worked and I lost it and a fish took it and whatever else. Also, don't care. When it comes down to it, I, I don't do things right when I'm tying. Because I taught myself, I don't do any of it right. People will look at me and be like, why? How did you, how did you, how did you do that? Like, I don't know. I just, taught my, I just figured it out. So I will get there to the end result that's similar to other people, but I might do it the wrong way. You mean your way? Yeah. Which isn't the wrong way. Ex- well, exactly. And so like people, it's, you never know just as long as you get there and you figure it out. That's all that matters. Number two, take a class. Yeah. For sure. Find a fly shop and take a class because I know YouTube videos are fine, but usually classes at least provide the material. So you don't go out there and buy it and find out you hate tying that fly anyways. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great suggestion. That's, that's probably it. But yeah, accumulating materials is so expensive anyways. It really is. And how yeah. important is it to choose the right materials? A lot. It's very important. I mean, you worked in a shop. It's, I don't, it's, Was there a different... Like, let's say I walk in, I'm John mm-hmm. Doe, I walk in to your shop. Yeah. And there's, you know, on the pegboard wall. Yeah. There are 10 packages of... I don't, let's even get a guinea. Yes. Are they all the same quality guinea? No. The same? <laughs> no. Talk me through it. Talk yeah, through so um, there's some that look like they're the baby guinea that they they somehow decided to box up. And there's some that are like the mom and dad guinea. And depends. that said, it depends on what you're tying, right? So say you're tying size 10 flies with it, then obviously the small guinea would work. Um, so it's also getting the right material for the specific purpose you're using it for. When you buy your own material, do you open up the package first? Oh, all the time. Like <laughs> as, a, uh-huh. as a shop person, mm-hmm. how did you feel when people opened up the packages? I would look at them. It's fine if you're not going through and leaving like fur and fuzz all over the ground. It's the ones that molested it that drove me nuts. The ones that opened it up, I was okay with and pulled it out for sure. Yes. So would you recommend that people do that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And if a shop gets mad, if you're not like rubbing it all over your body, like they can't get mad at you for that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, like if they get mad, then it, that's not a shop you should go back into. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to watch your flies evolve to what they are today because they are impressive. Thank you. Yeah, and it's really cool yeah. to watch you experiment with them and show people the steps and how they look in the yeah. water. Well, and I don't mind posting the shitty ones. And That's nor the fun part, you. Yeah. too. So, like, some people only take the time to, like, post the pretty ones and whatnot. I don't care if I post failures because I'm going to do the same thing, thing that everyone else does. Yeah. How, so. do you, how do you keep yourself from overdressing your flies? Do you have any tricks for, for rationing? <laughs> I actually, I do okay without and don't overdress them. My bigger issue is, is I have like chia pet syndrome. Like I go back through and if I have to cut something, I will keep cutting and I get so excited about cutting things. Oh, you mean like trimming it down? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like I have problems. Like there's nothing left then. Do you like, use scissors yeah. to trim or do you use your fingers and break? Uh, it depends on what it is. If it's marabou, break. Always break. I hate, 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 hate. I don't know how we didn't cover that before, but I hate it when people cut marabou. It drives me absolutely bonkers. Like the blunt ends. Oh my god! Don't ever, fibers. ever do that. I always break. Use your and fingers to tear them, people. Yes, tear always. It. And then um, everything else I'll cut. But like, if you're going through and spinning hair or something, I 
I love it. It's so fun. It's like if you're, I don't like cleaning, but if like you have a super messy, like small area that's like just got dirt all over it and I could pressure wash it, I will go to town and I will giggle the whole time. I love it so much because it's like, (laughs) it's, you make such a difference with such little effort. And same thing with like cutting deer hair, like spinning hair and whatnot. I will sit there and I, I just love it. I don't know why. And then all of a sudden I'm like, where I have no fly left. It's all gone. <laughs> Fair enough. It's a problem. Right. Yeah. So I'm like a cutter on meth every time I'm cutting things. <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah. You've got issues, but they're beautiful and I oh, love you for them. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, listen, you are a classic. Um, is there mm-hmm. anything that you would like to add or to ask me? No, I think I'm good to go. It was very, very fun. Yes, hopefully we could talk again at some point. Oh, we will. Oh, yes, for sure. (laughs) To be continued. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 